Hey guys, just a couple of quick announcements before we get to the episode. First, we just want to say we're so happy with the amazing feedback from our first episode. We really do appreciate everyone's support making this podcast. We've had a blast making it, and it's always better when you guys like it. We also wanted to announce officially that we have a Twitter finally, so follow us at WFWCast for updates, alerts, whenever our new episodes are released, and community interaction. Speaking of interaction, we received our first voice message. We forgot to mention it in the first episode, uh, but in the description of all our episodes, there will be a link to send us your thoughts or comments on the episode that we watched that week. This week we heard from my friend Tom. Hey guys, long-time listener, first-time caller. Great episode. Um, I love Korra, I love Avatar, but I think for me, one thing that stands out immediately that puts it on a different level uh, than Avatar in particular is the animation. Um, you know, Avatar came out at a time where 4 by 3 standard definition was at the height of its game. Um, but Cora immediately steps it up to the 16 by nine with those clean lines and those bite scenes. Mwah! Um, and I think that just, it just separates the two, at least on a, on a visual level immediately. And that's not to discredit avatar. Um, there's certainly some beautiful moments in it, but mm, goodness gracious. Cora is a beautiful show. Love the conversation, guys. Can't wait for the next one. Righteous. If you want to be in an episode of We Finally Watch Like Tom, send us a voice message. We'll pick out our favorites every week and share them at the beginning of the episode. Now, without any further delay, let's get to the second episode. Hey listeners, you're listening to I Finally Watched The Legend of Korra Book 1 Chapter 2, a podcast where two friends force each other to watch the shows we keep meaning to watch and finally talk about them. I'm the second friend, Anthony. And I'm the first friend, Abra. And let's just get right to it. So, episode 2, or uh, chapter 2, what are the first things in your notes, the first thing that stood out to uh, you? The, like, 1920s-esque announcer doing, like, the little, um... What happened last episode thing? I can't remember what that's called. I love that. It's so good. Not only, I feel like those recaps, that's the word I was looking for. Those little recaps oh, yeah. are often just like this boring kind of necessity in a lot of shows. Um, like in Avatar or in The Last Airbender, they would always like last time on Avatar and they'd show all these relevant things from previous episodes that you might have forgotten. And it's just kind of this boring necessity, but like, this is like integrated into the world where it's a thing that you would like hear on the radio in this world. And that sort of integration is amazing. And also I just love the like audio aesthetic of like 1920s radio announcer. Um, I, I love that. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. So I actually didn't have that at all um, because the copy I have, I, I think I mentioned to you privately before, but the copy I'm watching it on uh, episode one and two are actually on the same file. Yeah. So there were no credits between them. So I, and obviously like the first episode doesn't have that, that recap thing. So I completely forgotten about it. Um, but yeah, that is, that is so delightful and it continues to be, I think, uh, Later in the series, it even gets a lot more meta, um, which is kind of fun. I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a blast. Love that. Perfect. The second thing that I noted um, was about like Korra's airbending training and the whole thing with like the spinning gates. Um, I thought that was cool, not only you know as just like a training mechanism, but also because 
in The Last Airbender, we never see Aang's airbending training because he's already an airbending master. So it's kind of cool to actually see one does train to be an airbender. Absolutely. And I think also it's cool because we're seeing like ancient airbending techniques and a lot of their culture had to have been destroyed alongside like you know the death of thousands so the fact that there's any uh, like semblance of their culture or enough of that culture left to to rebuild at all is astounding and like obviously it's just Aang's family but like the fact that they have any training mechanisms and he even says later on in the episode that like that the gates are 2000 years old it's just amazing that those were able to survive yeah. the war and like continue to be useful yeah 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 also not not really off topic but the the spinning gates for some reason just reminded me of kung fu panda i don't know really why but like <laughs> i was like yeah that that looks like a thing that would happen in kung fu panda and he would get into the gates and get smacked around a bunch you know i think it is very like kung fu generic or like the uh, like what we expect out of like a kung fu training sequence i think that comes from the karate kid the idea of like these simple training exercises being so useful Um, have like those crazy mechanisms and stuff the karate kid was just like waxing a car and painting a fence and this is like a, a thing that was specifically invented to train someone how to use airbending. Well, yeah, sure. But this is more because this is less actual training of airbending and more like getting in the right mindset, right? right yeah. Like you can, I assume, do the gate challenge without being an airbender, but it's about getting in the mindset of being one. Right. No, um, no. Or at least that's something from it. I just wrote here, uh, I hate Le- Milo and his weird lumpy head. <laughs> I was I was gonna ask how you felt about Aang's grandchildren, particularly Milo. Yes, um, I want to punt him. <laughs> it does get better, I promise. He gets he gets better. I, mean, as I, I did I did like the bit where um, when Cora said that Tenzin was a terrible teacher, and he like mimicked her and started just like jumping around. That was kind of fun, but I just I don't like mm-hmm. his design. I feel the same way. Oh, I, I like Aang's other kids, uh, Janora and the other one that I don't remember. Uh, Janora and Kiki? Maybe. Aang's grandchildren. Um, for listeners, we've decided I'll be the one that does any Googling to uh, avoid spoilers for Abra here. Um, it's Iki, so I was okay. close. Yeah, I, I love them. And really, like in this season and so far, they're pretty like background characters. Milo is my least favorite of them, and for and it is the character design and also the voice. I think he's the worst parts of season one Sokka's comedy. <laughs> it's just like potty humor, and if, like that's fine because he's a kid character, and like if you're gonna have and it's a kid show, and so if you're gonna have that kind of humor in there, you know, I guess that's not the worst way to do it, but it is definitely like the worst kind of humor for me, yeah, personally, yeah, same. So what did we think of what we saw of Republic City? We saw a little bit more of it. Yeah, we we only really saw like the the airbending island, the arena, the pro bending arena. Um, but that was that was still cool. One thing I noted, like kind of before we get to the pro bending stuff, is when Korra is like swimming there, and I I kind of just realized that in the last Airbender, we never actually saw like swimming very much from like the water tribe characters usually if they were interacting with water they were like bending it we never really saw like actually Hmm. swimming which is a weird thing to notice i we didn't 
really, did we? Because we did see, like, there was a beach episode in book three, right? Where, yeah, no, well, no, because they were also, because I think that's the episode where Zuko's like, hey, don't we, I guess it's not a whole episode, but Zuko's like, hey, we need to train, and all the rest of them were on vacation. They were just Um, on the beach, they weren't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're right, yeah, there isn't much of that in book one, so... Yeah, and it's interesting, but it is cool to see. I love when like she jumps into the water and it, the waves come up to like pick her up and like slow her descent better. It's the little ways that bending gets used in the show, this one and the previous one that like to me makes the world so interesting. Like the ways that bending is integrated into every possible movement. Yeah, like like also when she gets out of the water, she, you know, water bends all the water off of her. So she's dry, like things, mm-hmm. things like that. It's it's cool. Yeah. Okay. So now getting into my favorite part, maybe not my favorite part, but like I've I friggin' love pro bending. <laughs> I love everything about it. I love the announcer. I love the aesthetic. Um, I love the like like boxing metaphor. Like, is it supposed to be boxing? Was in the forties? I, I don't know. I I love it. I love everything about it's, it. It's kind of a unique thing, um, and that's uh, I, I think a really cool like mark of world building is like your fictional sports, and it's something that I'm always bad at because I could not care less about sports in the real world. So, um, you know, coming up with fictional sports that are both realistic and seem like they would be fun to both play and watch. Uh, is kind of is is always really cool. It's a bit more like sumo wrestling with how like okay you know you yeah. you you have to try and knock your opponents off out of the ring. Um, it, it was it was cool. I I did enjoy I enjoyed that even though the fire ferrets they kind of suck at it. Speaking of fire ferrets, uh, we have not met or you have not met Pabu yet. Yes, have you, you lied to me last time. I thought I could have sworn he was gonna. Why isn't he in this episode? I, I'm gonna write the creators of Avatar a strongly worded letter because we were denied Pabu for too long, <laughs> exactly two episodes longer than we should have been. I digress, but yeah, so uh, disappointing that uh, Pabu wasn't there. But yeah, I I love this sport. You know me, Abra. I'm a very big fan of fictional yeah. sports. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan uh, and a big specifically Quidditch fan. I play real life Quidditch. And so whenever I see stuff like this, which is like a or like seemingly pretty well developed sport or even games like Pi Show in the first series was really cool. I immediately start thinking, how do I do this in real life? Uh, there isn't really a way to do pro bending in real life, like outside of like a board game or card game context. But I so I just find it so fun. Like I, if they weekly animated a pro bending match, I would watch that every week. Like I, w- I would pay good money to watch that. It would cost good money to make that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so to be honest, I'm gonna get some flack from harry potter people but i don't care uh quidditch seems to be in in, like its rules and setup when you think about it for like two seconds so i like that the pro bending is like the fact that they don't outright explain to you the rules of it like there's not a big info like oh you gotta use bending and you gotta try and knock them out of the into these zones and stuff i do i I like the fact that you know it it just shows you what's happening through context clues but it it seems to be a fairly well-rounded sport i guess as someone who doesn't know anything about sports 
Yeah, and pretty intuitive. Uh, well, I'll try not to harp too much on it because this is this could be a whole podcast on its own. It's just me talking about Quidditch. I think the big uh, difference between like J.K. Rowling trying to develop a sport, a fictional sport, is that she developed it specifically so that the main character could save yeah. the day, right? Like that's why the pitch is worth. 15 goals um and real life quidditch isn't remarkably different like they have reverse engineered that stuff into its own thing but in this one you know the creators aren't using it as a way to like make cora seem better than she is um or like show that she is something special although of course like she already is she's the avatar but they're using it, I think, as just a way to, again, explore the theme I, I brought up last time, which is like tradition versus new stuff. Like if original bending was this very formal, you know, we're thinking like Agni Kai's for firebenders and, you know, formal training under a master or even like gorilla training, like um, the name escapes me, but the earthbender Haru, is that his name? like the more traditional yeah. settings than this is new age bending, right? Like look at the contrast between Cora, who is a master earthbender at this point, And the moment she tries earthbending, Bolin's like, Oh, Hey, like you did great. If this was normal earthbending, but this isn't mm-hmm. right. You're not supposed to be locked onto the ground. You're not supposed to be tuning into what's around you. You need to be light on your feet. And, in that way, it's kind of, uh, sorry if I'm going on a tangent here, but it's kind of going into what Iroh talks about when he talks about, you know, taking elements from the other, uh, pun intended, elements um, in order to, like, create new techniques in your own is exactly what's happening. There. That is that is true, and that's a good point. And I made a note that in The Last Airbender, the only time we ever saw benders of different elements working together was with the main characters. And this is like... I, mean, I, I guess we saw this in the first episode too with the uh, the triad, but you know we actually are seeing multiple benders of different disciplines working together, and that's I mean that's pretty cool. I, I dig it. Absolutely, yeah. I if the last episode, you know, I made a comment about like this isn't one thing thought of probably meant when he thought about you know uh, the nations coming together and and working together um this probably is like like this pro bending is a really good way and like clearly much less harmful than agni kai's which i i'm like pretty sure have been outlawed like since the original series no don't idea. quote me on that but i i think they, they there, seem yeah dangerous um, and bad of Zuko would be uh, would be cool with that. Well, and I'm pretty sure the scene where Zuko and Azula have their Agni Kai is called the last Agni Kai. And I think that's like, yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure that it's like either outlawed or like a big taboo now than it used to be. So like using pro bending as like a pseudo Agni Kai where it's not one-on-one, but it's like team composition is, I I don't know. I just find the whole dynamic there super fun. Mm-hmm to watch and and fun to explore yes i was just gonna go go into my next note here which just says bolin is peak himbo (laughs) i stand bolin so hard he he seems like a nice a nice fella we we love bolin we especially as the series continues um my opinion on mako will change drastically but bolin is and will continue to be my favorite character in this series. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. He seems a good guy. What um 
Yeah, so so first impressions on Bolin and Mako and their relationship. Um, well, I didn't really get a lot of like I'll move on to Mako. He he seems almost like too into I get that they're going for kind of, you know, a contrast here. He's nice and friendly and Mako is kind of aloof and rude, but like he is just like a bit too rude in my opinion. That's totally fair. Yeah, he's he's definitely very uh standoffish, especially with mm-hmm. Cora. Yeah, and and I I guess I didn't really see much chemistry between the two. Maybe we'll get that later. They they didn't really seem to interact in much of a meaningful way just yet. Yeah, for sure. Has it mentioned yet that there? This isn't spoilers because if it hasn't been said, you'll know it by the beginning, like first minute at the next episode. But are you aware yes, that they're did, brothers? Yes, it did mention that at this point. And, I mean, I was aware of that beforehand. Okay. But like it did, it did explicitly call them like the Fire Ferret Brothers. So one thing that I, obviously it's possible, but I think this is the first time in the series we've seen two benders of different elements from the same family. That's true. Um, well, I think in the comics, because I've read some of the comics, but not all of them from The, the Last Airbender. And mm-hmm. I think there was a character in there who was like, yeah, anyways, point is, this is the first time in the show. And I mean, it's cool. But yeah, like, fair. There, there definitely is some sort of, I don't know, physical law that a person can only be one bender at a time, except for the Avatar. So I, I guess, you know, you can't have like some kind of fusion bender, although that would be cool. There is a lot of talk in the fandom about, you know, you know what, uh, I'm actually going to save this for a different episode, because I feel like this is the, the best time to bring up that particular fan theory slash fan yeah. guessing. Um, so we'll talk about that at a, at a later point. What was I going to say? Oh, we got to see more of Tenzin, uh, who is Aang's oldest child. Uh, or, sorry, uh, second oldest child. Like, what do you, how do you feel about him so far um, as a character? I mean, I, I don't really have a strong opinion of him just yet, simply because it's just, I mean, he's obviously kind of antagonistic towards Korra. His training is sort of a, a challenge that she has to overcome, and he's not being patient. Also, she did just destroy, like, a 2,000-year-old relic, so, like, I understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I just don't really have any particularly strong feelings towards him just yet. Fair enough, yeah. I guess I was thinking he seems a lot more strict and regimen-built than oh, yeah. Aang did. Call, like, have you, have you thought about that at all? It's okay I, if you no, haven't. Yeah. I'm um, just trying I'm to make... kind of thinking about it now, and I mean, I, I guess I don't know much about how Tenzin was raised, but, like... In Aang's case, he didn't really have parents, strictly speaking. He he was kind of in this monastery with all these monks and other airbenders. And he was it, it kind of seemed like he was sort of free to do as he pleased. Because at that point, they didn't know that there was going to be a genocide. So everyone was kind of carefree and just bending and stuff like that. Whereas I feel like maybe there would have been a lot more pressure on Tenzin from, you know, Maybe not necessarily from Aang, but just from the idea that he is like the la- part of the last bloodline of airbenders. Um, and the fact that, you know, he had a very different up or he presumably had a very different upbringing with like a traditional family. Yeah, no, I think those are very good thoughts. I think he, well, it, it, this all gets explored later, but just in these beginning episodes, we can already see clearly he feels like there's a lot of pressure on him like for what for i think is fairly obvious right like he like you said he's not the last airbender like ang was but he is carrying the airbending tradition now uh with his father gone and 
it'll be really cool to see how that mm-hmm. plays out. So I talked about, so Cora obviously finding her footing in this new age of bending, right? Where she, it finally clicks for her with airbending when she's pro-bending. And that on top of destroying, like literally destroying a traditional artifact of airbending, I wanted to point out or maybe see, I take this as symbolism for Korra literally destroying tradition, right? And then uh, metaphorically destroying tradition by, you know, learning airbending through this new age form of, you know, earth, water, and fire bending. And just wondering what that has to say about can traditional airbending even survive? Like those traditional understandings of the world even survive in this new modern era? where automation is becoming more uh, relevant and we're getting more to like modern day. Like uh, I mentioned this in the last episode where one of the big themes of the show is action versus inaction. And I just wanted to point that out so that we'll kind of um, say, did you have any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it until you brought that up, but it definitely makes sense. I mean, there's airbenders to begin with here that I feel like they're kind of going to have to adapt, like just by necessity that, you know, the, the entire cultural tradition can't really be carried by one person. And so it it, mm-hmm. it is going to change because there isn't as much of a foundation there. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to end up having to change just by necessity, but also like airbenders are so rare at this point that it's kind of hard to know exactly what's how how that style is gonna carry on absolutely and you'd think that airbending would be pretty good at adapting uh since it is (laughs) you know like tenzin said it's the element of air Mm -hmm. or uh freedom so it's the element that's supposed to hypothetically be the best at adapting to new situations come on you fake fan Oh. oh i'm a fake fan Oh, no, geez. Well, okay, you'd think airbending would at least be fairly good, right? But we see Tenzin's actually really not good at adapting. He's, like, really anti-pro-bending. He seems kind of surprised about it at the end. Well, of course, yeah. But even then, he seemed, like, reluctant to even show excitement, right? Almost like it's supposed to be below him, and he's trying to keep up this, like, facade of, like, Oh, the perfect, you know, the perfect airbending master, but... I don't really have much else to say other than the, I guess, the resolution to the plot um, with Korra, like, figuring out how to how to move properly from the pro-bending. I feel like it, it's a very predictable but necessary plot point, I guess, at this point in the series. From the moment the mm-hmm. announcer was like, oh, Mako, he's dancing between all the attacks and stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, now Cora's going to do it, and that's that's how she's going to resolve that. So it was predictable, but, like, I guess in a way that's kind of necessary for this early on in the in the story. You know, I think you're right. It's, it's a balancing act, because you and I are yeah. adults. <laughs> we're, what, in early 20s, mid-20s? And we're watching the show that, like, the demographic is not 20-year-olds. It should have been. Um, but it's not. It's <laughs> It's... You know, like at best, fifteen-year-old. You know, taper your expectations about like plot complexity, like originality here. But I do think, like, I do think yeah. there's enough there to keep it going. But it does. There are episodes that are stale here. This is if Last Airbender only had one or two duds. This one mm, probably yeah, has a couple. That's fair enough. I, I wish there were more shows aimed at adults, but not like intentionally made edgy and sexed up and stuff like. It's still a lighthearted fantasy romp, 
but like it has darker themes and the characters are allowed to swear sometimes. I think you're describing yeah, anime. Actually, you're right. I am I am 100% <laughs> describing anime. Yeah, no. Yeah, I was like as you were describing that I was like it kind of sounds like My yeah. Hero Academia. Like pretty lighthearted, pretty but yeah, which is like for the record the only anime I've I've really seen if you don't count Avatar as an anime. Yeah, that's a discussion for another yes, episode too, absolutely. I'm sure. Um yeah, no, I, I am just describing anime. Like I, I've probably said this before, but like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, or I guess the manga, was like the first piece of genuinely very good media that I have consumed and it's just kind of permanently imprinted on my brain. How old like were 12, you when you read it? Probably, probably too young, oh, honestly, okay. yeah. considering a lot of the shit that happens, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, around that time, I think I was starting to read John Green books. Hey, you know, that's life. life. Well, Abra and listeners, thanks for joining us and talking about this week's episode. Be sure to come back next week. We should have another episode up by then. Uh, remember to watch the things you mean to watch. Talk to your friends about them. They don't hate you as much as you think they do. All right. Later, guys. <laughs>